Welcome to the Strange Food Podcast. My name is Jason Barnard, and that was the unmistakable voice of uh, Paul Carrick. 
and uh, the title track of his excellent new album out shortly these days. Welcome, Paul. Hiya. How are you doing? I'm brilliant, thanks. Um, can you tell me about uh, these days, the album, the track, uh, and also I think you've also got some live shows coming up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have. I mean, we're constantly kind of uh, touring here, there, and everywhere. We've got to go to Holland and Germany, and I'm doing a couple of gigs in America with part of Eric Clapton's band in September and October. And um, But at the UK tour, we start in January, goes through to March, about 30 shows. Uh, sort of uh, theatres, you know. But... Mm. You ask about the new album. What what can I what can I tell you? What would you like to know about it? <laughs> um, am I right to say that this has got a bit of a sort of ref- reflective lyrical feel in terms of reflecting where you are in your time of life? Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I mean, it's not what we, I, I never really set out with much of a plan. You know, there's never much of a concept. I just start with pretty much a blank page when it's time to do an album and um we just go ahead follow our noses and then when we when it's finished we take stock and think oh what was all that about <laughs> you know <laughs> but um i think it the way it's turned now is as you say it is quite reflective uh fairly personal what else is there to write about i'm not very good at writing about anything else really um i, I don't have much of an axe to grind uh politically or anything like that so yeah it's it's a personal album i mean i've had a fairly long career and um, i've also had a a family life as well that supported me through it and um Mm. so it's about all that stuff really you know and, and being reasonably happy without sounding complacent or smug i think you know reasonably with happy with how things have gone and where i'm at at the moment and appreciative of you know i'm a lucky person um in many ways so uh yeah our next track is uh life in a bubble you've you've um got quite a number of uh renowned musicians on on this album yeah well yeah i mean i've made a number of albums in the past where i've more or less played everything myself and on mm. i almost started out along that path with this one but I got it to a certain point and I thought really it would be great at this juncture to, you know, have some really great musicians on here. And uh, so we more or less started again. Mm. I've been fortunate in the last few years to play in Eric Clapton's band, been playing organ in his band on the road. And mm. I've got to play with some incredible musicians, one of which is a drummer called Steve Gadd who, if you've got any drummers listening, they'll all know who that is because he's, you know, absolutely held in the highest esteem. I mean, he's played with everybody from Eric to Paul Simon, James Taylor, Steely Dan. You know, the guy is a genius, but he's also a very sensitive um, musician. He's not a show-off musician. He can play anything... Mm anything at all, any genre of music, and he's incredibly technically thing, but that's not what he's about. He's not about showing off. He's about, you know, complimenting the artist and trying to do what he's, what he's doing. So there you go. We've got Steve Gadd on drums. We've got an amazing guitar player, Robin McIntosh. He's played with it. I met him back in the day 
in the Pretenders. I played on some ses- played on some sessions in the early days of the Pretenders, and Robbie was a part of that. And he went on and played with people like Paul McCartney, Nora Jones, all these types of people. He played on a, an album of mine about ten years ago, and um, I asked him in into this, and he's, he's played some really lovely guitar things. You mentioned Life in a Bubble. That's the second track on the album, and Robbie does a great solo on that. He plays a lot of great slide guitar and dobro guitars on there. So, um, mm. yeah. It's, so, the, I mean, the idea was to have a really organic, natural, human feel to the record. You know, we didn't want to be... It's not processed, mm. and it doesn't have that auto-tune thing going off, and it's a very natural, warm-sounding album, and that, that's what we went for, really. Living in a bubble Trying to ignore the pain Every night you wonder
Your first world problems Accumulate inside your mind Hiding reality That you try to leave behind Your weary conscience Hides behind a troubled frown Draw the curtains Lock the door and pull the shutters down release a lot of albums uh, but you seem to each one seems to build on the last certainly in terms of the support that you're getting in terms of the uh, the sales and, and, and everything it, it just it seems to be sort of climbing onwards and upwards generally well we hope so I mean um, it goes in tandem with you know working hard on the road because that's how we mm. reach people I mean we there's no TV available for us, uh, for the likes of us, mm. <laughs> a lot of other musicians in the same boat because there's so little music on TV. So a lot of the graft is down to, you know, constantly touring and playing and doing good shows and people coming back. Uh, we, we've had in the past really great support from mainstream radio, you know, like Radio 2 and that, but mm. they seem to be going some massive change of agenda now and i'm not sure that i fit into it anymore but we will find out but i'm i've been more or less forewarned that things are changing down there they're actually trying to get a much younger audience on board so good luck with that but um Mm. anyway but as you say nevertheless it has i mean i started i was been independent really in other words i didn't have an agent i didn't have a record company i didn't have a publisher back in 2000 i decided to start my own little label and just take my life in my own hands and just see how it went and i mean obviously i wasn't starting from absolute scratch because i i did have some you know even then i had some back catalog to talk about but of course most people didn't know that i was the guy who sang how long mm. the living years over my shoulder tempted the, you know, I had to mm. explain it. It's been a long process, but as you say, it just builds a little bit each year. I want to now kind of take you chronologically uh, from, from the, the early years right up back to, to these days uh, towards the end of this podcast. And obviously many people's starting point of where they first heard you was how long. I mean, obviously you'd been in Warm Dust and then and obviously Ace, which uh, you, yep. know, re- you recorded how long as part of. Yeah. And were those both bands quite collaborative and therefore the success of how long kind of gave you confidence as a singer and songwriter because of that? Well, it, 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 it did. I mean, you mentioned Warm Dust 
I, I wouldn't go there if I were you. <laughs> the records we made were pretty dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> um, a, a bit of a, a, a psychedelic phase that was, um, mm. to say the least. Um, but the records are pretty awful. But, you know, we, we talk about collaborative. I mean, we basically lived in a transit van, <laughs> you know, and toured around Germany and Holland and all these places. And we just made mm. the music up together. But it was long, sort of instrumental nonsense. Um, mm. Ace was kind of formed out of the ashes of that, and it was formed to play in just to have fun of playing the pubs around London. It's what they called the pub rock scene, or whatever that meant. Yeah. But um, <laughs> we, you know, we managed to get ourselves a a recording contract with a very small label, and we made our first album in. 10 days, I think we had at Rockfield Studios. And one of the first songs that I had written, and that is when I first started singing lead, because I hadn't really sung lead prior to that, was How Long. Mm. So that was a bit of a waking up call and uh, a, a bit of a foot in the door. And yes, I did for a minute there think, oh, I'm a singer-songwriter. But, um, you know, since then, there's been a lot of ups and downs. and um, But it was, a, it was the first step in the door.
after Ace uh, fell away, you, you did quite a lot of um, session work, and I, I guess this wasn't quite session work because you you joined uh, the group full full time. But um, where where many people uh, kind of then heard your voice after that was uh, tempted by Squeeze, and I yeah. understand that Elvis Costello was kind of pushed you to the front on that track. Yeah, he did. I mean, I, as you said, I'd, I'd started doing sessions and just, you know, trying to earn a crust and trying to, um, you know, add to my musical knowledge. I mean, I'm per- totally self-taught and I'd only been in my own little comfort zone. And it was a really sort of learning experience to be thrust into playing on a session, you know, and hoping you didn't get sussed out that you couldn't really play. Um, but I went down to play with Squeeze because Jules Holland, who was the keyboard player at that time, he'd left. And they tried all sorts of people. And I was um, recommended by somebody, a friend, to uh, go down and play. And um, I kind of fell into it. You know, I wasn't looking to join the band as such, but they were looking for somebody to be in the band and we were going straight into the recording studio to record an album called East Side Story. But I was just the keyboard player, really. They didn't need another singer. Mm. But when we started to record the track Tempted, which they had already recorded a different version completely, but we started messing about in the studio and um, Elvis Costello was producing the album and he came running in and said, you know, we should record it like this, but Paul, you should sing it. So, um, that was a bit embarrassing, but, um, nevertheless, the band seemed to be happy with it. And, um, I'm glad they were because, you know, it's a, it's a great, great song and I, I still enjoy singing it. I'd like to talk about this in a bit more detail later, because there's a few tracks of a stronger connection, but, um, you, you've had that uh, relationship with Chris Difford ever since. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I left after a bit more than, a, I think it was about a year, 18 months because I enjoyed my time with him. I enjoyed, you know, being along for the ride and playing keyboards, but you know, in my heart of hearts, I wanted to be a, you know, my own guy, my own singer songwriter. And, and my songs weren't going to work with squeeze because they were just kind of lovey dovey, simple songs and, squeezes were much more interesting basically so uh i did leave but i always um kept in touch with chris and i think more or less every album i've done we've written a couple of songs at least so on this new album there's uh, 11 songs six of them i've written myself and five i've written with chris mostly chris um writes lyrics in this relationship and uh, although we do work we do work on both together, but um, it's just nice to have another angle because, you know, he, he does come up with some great things uh, that I would never come up with. So, um, yeah.
And you, you've talked about that that relationship with Chris, and there's another sort of genius songwriter that you've collaborated with, and, and that's Nick Lowe. I want to play um, a song called "From Now On" yeah. from the the early 1980s, but you re-recorded that more recently. Yeah, um, that's a, a lovely track. And um, can yeah. you tell me about that song in particular and why you chose to re-record it? Well, because I agree, I think it's a it's a great little song and mm. I don't think I really did it justice when we did it back in the 80s I mean not long after leaving Squeeze I kind of went under the wing of a guy called Jake Riviera the legendary Jake oh, yeah. Riviera who was manager of Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe and um, part of the reason for leaving Squeeze was to work with Nick I, I was was a big fan you know he produced this solo album I did called Suburban Voodoo, which was, um, you know, it, it was quite well critically acclaimed. I had four stars in Rolling Stone and this and that and the other. And I had a top 30 American hit with a song called um, I Need You. Mm. And uh, it's a bit mad, the record. I mean, I can't put it on now. It, I can hear about three tracks and have to have a lie down because it's, it's <laughs> very fueled, shall we say. Um <laughs> But there's this great song from now on, and uh, I've always liked it. So the version that I recorded a few years back was um, a little more relaxed, a bit of a lower key, and um, just a great song. Nick is a great songwriter. You know, he doesn't collaborate that much. I think he likes to write on his own. And um, yeah, I mean, he has written some belters. Well, from now on, I am gonna be turning over a brand new leaf. It may be tough, but I. Just 
track is um the living years and and i i've chosen a, um a version that that you remade of that for your greatest hits the story so far uh album how did you uh get to work with mike rutherford generally and um i, I guess the living year years even though it was written by mike and ba robinson has a has a has a certain resonance with yourself given you lost your father mm-hmm. at, a, at an early yeah. age I got to know Mike through B.A. Robertson, actually, I think it was. He he had mentioned to me that he was um, writing songs for a Mike Rutherford solo album. And um, Mike wasn't going to sing on it. And would I be interested on singing? Uh, on the, this, this became the first Mike and the Mechanics album. And there were yeah. several singers on it. But um, I got to sing the first lead out lead off track, which was silent running or can you hear me as people know it? Yeah. So the first album did pretty good, especially in America. Second album was the song, the living years, which mm. to be honest, I think is really BA the role that I could be doing Mike a disservice. I don't know, but um, by this time there were two singers in the group, myself and Paul Young. Um, from Sad Cafe. They'd choose either one of us to sing um, the various songs. Oh, yeah. And I really knew that I had to sing that one because, as you say, I'd grown up. I, I'd, one of the most profound experiences in my life was losing my dad when I was 11 and all that. So, although that's not what the song's about, nevertheless, I think, you know, I had the understanding of loss and all that stuff. So, um, so I've feel that I can still in I'm still entitled to sing that song in my own shows because you know I, I sang the original and there you go Bits 
of paper filled with imperfect thoughts still to conversation I'm afraid that's all we've got you say you just don't see it you said it's perfect sense you just can't get agreement in this present tense we all talk a different language talking in defense say it loud oh say it clear as well
we talked about your work with uh, Niccolo earlier, and I want to... And there's quite a lot of versions of this song because it's a, a pretty well-known song. I want to choose Nick Lowe's version of I Live on a Battlefield or okay. Battlefield. And, yeah. and obviously, I think you you wrote that with Nick. You've recorded your own version, but obviously it's uh, also been recorded by Diana Ross. Yeah. Well, to be honest, it was re- it's really written by Nick. He, he wrote most of that song. He gave me a, a co-writing credit very kindly because I was whinging about having to sing other people's songs. And, um, (laughs) he, he wrote it for an album I did called Groove Approved. And, um, we had the basic song and I was in New York, recorded it and he rang me up and, and dictated the lyric over the phone. And I just thought, that's flipping brilliant. That is, and so I did a version of it. And a few years later, Peter Asher called me and said that he wanted Dinah Ross to record the song. And uh, so he all said, great. But it, he said, it does need another bit in it. It needs a middle bit. So Nick and I got together. I think I had a bit more input into that bit musically. Mm. Although, again, the lyric was Nick. Because it's a br- brilliant lyric. So we wrote this extra bit that is, isn't on my version. It's on the Diana Ross version. <laughs> and um, as you say, s- several other people have done it recently. I-, I did another version, a fancy version with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, would you believe, on an album ah. called A Different Hat. Great album. Yeah, well, it was a, a bit of an odd one, but um, that's got a very fancy uh, arrangement of that song on it and that's that's another album i want to touch on briefly later so that'd be good to to cover that then i live on a battlefield surrounded by the ruins of the love we build then destroyed between us the smoke has cleared as I stumble through the rubble I'm a day seeing double and I'm truly mystified my new home is a shell hole filled with tears and a muddy water and bits of broken heart all around there is desolation Scenes of a devastation Of a love being torn apart I live on a battlefield I live on a battlefield I live on a battlefield The one where not one single drop of a blood has spilled Is no less horrifying Sweet memories, memories of a bygone situation Now shattered, lord and battered A lie scattered, don't lay round My new home Is a shell hole filled With tears and muddy water Yes, and the bits of broken heart All around There is desolation And the scenes of a devastation Of a love been torn apart 
live on a battlefield. I live on a battlefield. Everything that can has gone wrong. I live on a battlefield. It's gonna take spine to carry on. I like a drowning man, I coming up for air. I live on a battlefield. I'm looking for another survivor, but I can't see one anywhere. My new home, my home is filled with muddy water. All around, all around, there's bits of broken heart. My world, my world, is one of a desolation. And the scenes of a devastation. There is no consolation for a love been torn apart. I live on a battlefield. I live on a battlefield. I live on a battlefield. Battlefield. I live on a battlefield. Another track I'd want to talk about, and we, we can't really miss, really, another one of your signature tunes. And it's one of the, I think, one of the few tracks you wrote when you were in the uh, Micah Mechanics uh, project, Over My Shoulder. What was the inspiration behind that track? In that kind of latter period of, of your time in the group, was that a, a period of change where you actually were kind of um, welcomed you into that songwriting yeah. process? Yes, I mean, um, on the first two albums, I think I didn't really have much input writing-wise, which was a little bit frustrating. Well, on the one hand, it was a bit frustrating. On the other hand, it meant I didn't have to worry about it, and I was just a, a designated singer, really. Uh, mm. I don't think he saw me as being a mm. writer for that. But anyway, he opened the door, as you mm. say, and I went round to his house and... He said, I've got this little idea and put a drum machine on and um, and uh, started playing those opening chords, you know, ding, 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 ding. And hmm. he put the cassette player on, which is what we used to do, and I would just freeform, which is what I do, generally speaking. I very rarely have a concept for a song. I just kind of freeform and something comes out. So I started singing away and the cassette's running for 20 minutes or whatever and we're still just jamming away around those chords and I'm I'm thinking I don't think he's getting anything here I'll, I don't think he's digging this but I'll, I'll keep going trying different things and we got to the end when the tape ran out and he said you know what I think you did something at the very beginning that was good and I sort of dismissed it in my head but we played it back and I'm going Looking back over my shoulder, and with the the whole shape of that thing, you know, the whole melody and everything, and some of the words. So then it was just a case of going back and filling in the blanks. So it was one of those that came very quickly. See that look in your eye, but I never do. 
There's a track that's, um, I think, particularly well-known over in the US uh, for a version by the Eagles, but you uh, co-wrote it. And um, I want to play uh, your version featuring Timothy B. Schmidt of, of the Eagles, mm. Love Will Keep Us Alive. I mean, what what a, a lovely song that is. Yeah, thank you. Well, as you, uh, as you say, it's a co-write. It's three of us on that song, Peter Vale and Jim Capaldi the co-writers um basically i had been i knew timothy schmidt from way back when we had the big hit with ace and our first tour of america i met timothy he was in a band called polko oh yeah he later joined the eagles and he often came to shows when i was over there and don henley would come along and anyway when the eagles split up he was frustrated because he wanted to work. And I think he was skint as well, as it happens. But, um, mm. so mm. him and Don Felder, the guitar player at that time out of the Eagles were, they approached me about, you know, let's do something, let's make a band. And, um, I think originally mm. Joe Walsh was supposed to be involved in it, but, um, he wasn't very well at the time. Let's put it that way. We started recording songs for that project. And I took over this song, that it was written by Peter Vale and Jim Capaldi and myself. So we sat around and wrote a song for that project. I think Jim had the original title, Love Will Keep Us Alive. Pete kind of mm. had the basic shape of it, and we sat around and cobbled it together. 
And I took that song over and I was singing it with Timothy and Don and this band we had. There's another guy called Max Cole. Um, anyway, so I was going over there and it was all going to be, mm. this is going to be great. It's going to be big and the Eagles and you'll have to move to America and all this. And, um, hmm. and then I went over one time and it was like, uh, Paul, <laughs> don't know how to tell you this, but we are getting the Eagles back together. <laughs> So, um, I said, well, fair enough. You know, I don't blame you. And, uh, they said, but mm. Timothy needed a song on their album. And he said, how about I do love all keepers alive? And we said, sure. Why not? And that's why his version, you know, was a massive hit, but he very kindly, I, I recorded it anyway, later. Mm. Then I did a second version with the orchestra and, we asked Timothy, I mean, really as a favor, I think he did it for me to, you know, try and help my career was we did the duet and, um, that helped to get it on the radio. So it was very kind of him to, to do that.
Song of yours, and again, and uh, there's a few versions of this. A, a song that you've done with the the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, and that's uh, Eyes of Blue. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that feels now one of your signature songs, and and the orchestration on that really brings out the emotion on that on those lyrics. Yeah, yes, I actually wrote that song for a movie. I'm not going to tell you which one it was because it's a terrible <laughs> movie, <laughs> but. I wrote it as a big old torch ballad. I wrote it in the key of C, which is quite high. And then I've gradually been coming down on that song in years. Uh, Hmm. So the orchestral version is a bit more sort of intimate. And uh, the arrangements by a guy called David Cullen, who's, you know, really amazing, incredible. Um, And of course, we've got the old... uh, Irish pipes on that, haven't we? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. And that that's a song that you, you still do live? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's quite a popular one, that one. Mm. So uh, we do a version. It's not quite... It's an in-between the original and the orchestral version. It's quite a, uh, a cool ballad as we do it now. Yeah. Eyes of blue 
house You know there's nothing left To stand in your way Except yourself And I know Your heart's full of pain But hope still remains Behind those eyes of blue Behind those eyes of blue Behind those eyes People may say You've had your chance And let it slip away What goes on behind those eyes of blue? Another song of yours that I think you, you still do live, that's better than nothing that's from your excellent album, Satisfy My Soul. Uh, what was the genesis of, of, of that song? It's fairly self-explanatory. I mean, that's the thing about most of my songs. They don't. There's no deep hidden meaning usually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, you either get it or not. It it was always a popular song that live because we used to stretch out in the middle and uh, let the guys have a good, you know, like Steve Bate and our sax mm-hmm. player do a great solo on it, and you know, guitar player would stretch out. I'd have a go on the old Hammond. So that was always a popular one we had to give it a bit of a rest though because we were doing it year after year and we thought now we better give it a rest it might be time to re- revamp it bring it out again Yes. 
Now, I do think this is uh, uh, co-written with Chris Difford, and it's uh, Bet Your Life. That's got a real sort of blues sofa edge yes. to those quite poignant lyrics yeah. about a, a, a gambler. Yeah, I think it's a great lyric. You see, that's the kind of lyric I could never write on my own. And sometimes when Chris and I get together, I think he thinks that I'm looking for the real personal stuff when I'm not really, because I can kind of write that stuff myself. What I think he's, what he's brilliant at is observing situations and painting the picture, you know, with images. And um, that's not my forte, but that's why I like to get together with him. So, Musically, the song came about from a simple jam session I had with my son at home. And um, I'd mentioned what I just was talking about um, to Chris. And he, he he said, what about this? And he, he had in his, uh, you know, in his bag, uh, uh, this lyric for a song called Better Your Life. And I thought, I looked at it and I thought, I can make that work. I can fit that into this song. So that's how that came about. I'm glad you like it. It's um, probably one of my favorites off that album. And again, it's one of them where live, we really stretch Mm -hmm. out on that.
So now to close, I, I want to pick uh, one of my favourite tracks off uh, these days. It's uh, Dig Deep. Okay. Can you tell me about that song and, and the genesis of that one? Uh, well, again, it's uh, it's written with Chris Difford. Lyric is by Chris. Um, I had the thought of writing a song called Dig Deep. I don't know why. It just came into my head. be good to... Mm to write a song about that, you know, when your back's against the wall, you've got to dig deep. And uh, I, I was going to write that one myself, to be honest with you, and I probably could have mm. come up with something, but I turned it over to, to Chris, and uh, as always, you know, he came up with something really great. So um, I think it's something that, you know, a lot of people can relate to. There's a couple of great lines in there that I would never have come up with in a month of Sundays. I'm glad you liked it. Brilliant. Well, I wish you all the best with the release of these days, and uh, I think all the all the dates for your uh, UK tour that starts in January to March are, are on your website as well. Yeah, that's right. You're up in Leeds, aren't you? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we're yeah. playing in Leeds. We are playing in Leeds at the theatre there. Forget the name of it, but yeah, hopefully I can catch you. You're also playing York as well, which is quite nearby. Yeah. Yeah, the barbecue we seem to do every year now. That's quite good. Barbecue in York. That's we get a good, good, good crowd in there. So we've not been to Leeds that often. So uh, hopefully they'll come out and see us. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Paul. It's uh, been a real privilege, and okay. uh, uh, all the best with the new album. Okay, mate. Cheers. Thanks Ta-da. a lot. Then. Bye-bye. Bye bye. 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 When you're up against the rails When there's no wind in your sails You've got to balance on the scales And dig deep 
friends have let you down Nobody wants you around When your heart is out of town You gotta dig deep All kinds of problems Can be solved By letting life do its thing You're never too young or too old To let only the good things in You gotta dig deep Dig deep Feel you might regret all the things you might have said. You hit the nail on the head and dig deep when your prayers might not be heard. And you think that pages turn But there's still so much to learn You gotta dig deep All kinds of problems Can be solved By letting life do its thing Gotta dig deep Dig deep Dig deep Dig Thank you for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider supporting me on patreon patrons get access to unedited interviews as they're done news plus even access to my exclusive interview archive all your support goes into keeping the show running and moving forward and getting amazing guests 
to support me, just go to patreon.com forward slash strangebrewpod or go to the strangebrew.co.uk forward slash about. Thanks very much and any reviews on your podcasting services are greatly appreciated. Thank you.